0: Hi, I'm Eric Bazillion, and you are listening to the Rock Solid Podcast.
1: Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself. I can to be This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can use it. he
2: prove it. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today, he's in another country. You know him as one of the founding members and lead singers of the band Hooters. He has an amazing new solo album coming out, simply called Bazillion. Please welcome Eric Bazillion. Hello, Eric, how are you doing? Great, how are you doing? I'm good. So first things first, you have a new album. It's not yet released, correct? Right, couple of weeks, I think, yep. And it's simply titled Bazillion.
0: Yep. I couldn't think of anything better. And then I actually, it's funny, i when uh, when Paul McCartney's most recent came out called McCartney 3, I yeah. realized that that was because there was a McCartney 2 and there was a McCartney and it's been sitting there in plain sight. I'd never used bazillion and uh, it looked kind of good on the on the uh, photo that I had that chosen. So I thought, why not? I only get one chance to call it bazillion. And if not now, when?
2: That's right. And then if you follow McCartney, in 20 years we'll get Bazillion 2, and in 40 years we'll get Bazillion 3. That's a, a yes, and then even Bazillion 4. <laughs> Hope, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So let's talk about the new record. It's a solid 10 songs, 35 minutes. I love it. I yes. I, I mean, top to bottom, you know, because sometimes you don't know. You, you listen to an yeah. album for the first time and you're wondering. Which one am I gonna fast forward? And this one is solid top to bottom. So congratulations. It's, it's excellent. I really, really like it. If I didn't, I would just do what David Letterman used to do. He would tell the people, now I haven't yet seen the film. <laughs> right. <laughs> but this is great. I'm, uh, and it's been about nine years since you've released any new music? It's
0: well, since I've released a solo album, it's 20 years.
2: Yes, but uh, Bazillion and Wester came out in 2012.
0: That came out in 2012. I've released a few singles since then. Mm. Um, some of them solo, some of them collaborations. Um, and we, re- uh, yes, yeah, this is the first
2: in a, in a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah but proper yeah. solo album, you're right, 20 years. 20, yep. Okay, so let's talk about the album a little bit. First of all, tell people, I said you're, uh, we're nine hour time, time difference yeah. away. Where are you right now? I'm in
0: Stockholm, Sweden.
2: And can I ask what you're doing in Sweden? Um,
0: my family and I have been headquartered here since 2017. Oh, wow. Uh, pretty much. Um, until COVID, I was commuting a okay. lot. My wife is Swedish. She's been a good sport and put 20-some years into living full-time in, in uh, Pennsylvania And uh, we decided it was time just for a fun change. So it was originally going to be one year. Then it became two. Um, Then COVID. And we're still here. Um, We were actually just back in the States. We got back yesterday. Okay. In fact, Um, I I was back in in, uh, January and February, got vaccinated then. I brought my family back there to get vaccinated because it's slow going here. Yeah. Good idea. Yep. But um, yeah, so we've been, you know, pretty much headquartered here and um, I managed, I got very lucky and there was a, a room in the basement in the building we're, we're living in, an apartment building, and I was able to set up a little satellite provisional studio and started writing songs and recording them and uh, it, it turned into an album.
2: And so did you play all the instruments on the album?
0: I played all the instruments except for the drums. OK, the drums were played by either by David Wasikinen from the Hooters. OK, he recorded them himself in, in his house in Philadelphia or a guy named Roman Ratje in uh, in Slovenia.
2: It's amazing how you can make a record now as opposed to back in the 80s. Uh, they can record their parts and email them to you or however they get them to you. And then you just layer it all in. It's It's kind of like a magic trick
0: it It really is. It, it's it's crazy. and And I've been doing that for for a long time. i mean i was I was an early adopter with digital recording with with the internet, so I've been doing that, but now it's really become sort of the the way you do things.
2: yeah, yeah, it's um, it's the norm
0: and And it works, though, you know, it's not like being in the room, you know, when certainly not like being in a room and playing together with right. a band at the same time. Um, But even if you're overdubbing a drummer, you know, to be in the control room and go, yeah, or maybe. Right. Um, But, you know, this is, you know, this worked and, um, you know, I got some great performances out of them. You know, there are various and sundry other guest spots. William Whitman, the legendary producer engineer, he played bass on Heaven Ain't Gonna Save Us. And then uh, John, uh, John Fields who was another great producer. He mixed um, the the high note, the opening track. And while he was at it, he played some keyboards. And I thought,
2: yeah, great. It's it's harder to give people notes when they just uh, send the track to you, though, right? Because yeah. then you have to send yeah, it but, back to them.
0: Right, but often what happens is they'll send different takes. They'll ah, send different okay. options, which you know is a whole can of worms. Because you know, a four minute song, you can sit there for four hours going through.
2: You know, do I like that, Phil? Do I like this, Phil? <laughs> uh, what about that kick drum there? When did you start recording this album? When did you decide, I think I'm going to make an album? Was it during lockdown? It was during... Well, it's, it's a funny story about how, how it actually turned
0: into an album. Um, I'd started doing songs here 2018, 19. Just, mm-hmm. it wasn't lockdown, but in a, in a way, it's been sort of an exile for me. Okay. Uh, it's self-imposed. You know, I I, I really... I felt like I had grown a bit too comfortable back home in Pennsylvania. You know, I've got a, an awesome studio in, in, in my carriage house. Um, I, and I just thought it would be good for, for a change. And it felt a bit like exile, even though I speak the language fluently and I, I'm very at home here.
3: Okay. But I started
0: writing songs kind of themed around that. And then, um, then I did the cover of Help just at the beginning of, of COVID before we knew really what what that was going to imply regarding our lives and how long it would be. Um, and then I had just finished that and I, I did a podcast with, a, and I didn't know what the podcast was going in because I like to be surprised. And oh, wait, you, out did
2: your, you did your own podcast. You were host, you were host. No, 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 I, I was, I guess I was a guest on were guest in another podcast. Yeah. Okay. Another pipe. Po- Sorry. You're not the first. Okay. Well, it's hard to be first in podcasting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But uh, it was with a woman who's a she's a medium and her MO is she gets a guest on and you pick someone who's gone to the other side that you want to communicate with. So I said my father who passed away in 2017 and um, uh, you know asked asked where's my grandmother's birth certificate and she said oh he's laughing that's a trick question. Hmm. Oh but he's saying that there's a song that you have been working on that you're ready to give up on and you should finish it and you should release an EP. Wow. And I thought, wow, that's something my dad would say. Mm -hmm. And um, so first I was going to do an EP and then I realized, you know what, let's, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's do an album. Right. And the song that he was referring to is back in the eighties.
1: Back in. And on.
0: which, um, is the single that, that I'm releasing this Friday. And, um, I had started the song and sort of hit a, hit a, hit a dead end with it. I didn't know where to go. And after I got that message, I went downstairs and wrote the chorus.
2: And did it come thought, quickly okay. after you got that message? Did it just kind of come out of it, you?
0: It just came out. I sat down, I listened to the track, put the headphones on got to a blank spot in the music and started singing. And that's what came out. That's how I write. That is my writing process.
2: So the medium, uh, this woman, she knew that you were, she knew who you were. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be difficult to maybe say, Hey, you're working on a song. You know what I mean? Yeah. But even if you're cynical and you don't believe in those things, it still worked because you went and you finished that song. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, so you know,
0: end- I don't, I, I neither believe nor disbelieve in anything.
3: Right. And that's
2: probably a good way to be. It works for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so let's, first of all, you talked about two songs, the cover of help. You really made it your own because even when it starts, it doesn't start like help does exactly. Right. You know, with that, with that, whatever you want to call it, a power cord or whatever you want to. And it really takes you a second to realize that it's the Beatles' help, at least it did for me. Like, I'm like, oh, this sounds for, I'm like, oh, okay. So great great job, because I really like your version.
1: When I was younger, so much younger than Day
2: you either make it your own or you do an exact duplicate of it with your own voice. And I, I liked what you did. So fantastic.
0: Well, it's funny how that happened because I didn't set out to cover that song. Okay. Um, I, I, I came up with a mandola riff and the guitar riff and I made a musical track and started singing to it, which is how I write songs. I just, I make something that sounds like a record and then I find something to sing. And I started singing help and then I realized, well, I'm not gonna write a better song than this. And I have sort of made it my own. And it was really astonishing how hand in glove the, the help melody and lyrics went with, with the musical track. So I I rode with it and again, there it is.
2: It's kind of a uh, COVID and pandemic related a little bit too because we all kind of need some help. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that that was the thought, and even the, the artwork for that. Um, I don't know if you've seen the the artwork.
2: Yeah, it's a, isn't it the uh, American Sign Language? Yeah, but yeah. with surgical gloves. With surgical gloves, yes, that's
0: the, uh, rather, that's than, the... rather than rather than semaphore, like the Beatles had done it.
2: Yeah, but it's very cool. I really like that cover, and then you, uh, and then you did you just talked about back in the eighties, which has uh, tons of name checking and name dropping, and uh, and then even that song then ends with. COVID-y lockdown yeah. lyrics, and I, I really this this album is there's a lot you talk a lot about what's the pandemic?
0: Yeah, but again, a lot of it was was a feeling that I had already started diving into, just the feeling right. of being away from home. Of you know, th- everything is different now. Yes. So so the pandemic was just sort of the punctuation on a sentence that mm-hmm. had started several years earlier.
2: Yeah, the songs definitely uh they definitely stand on their own. It's not like something I'm going to listen to in 3 years and think, "Oh, about the pandemic." The lyrics touch on things that we're dealing with right now. Yeah. And, and they'll touch on things that we're dealing with in the future and in the past. So I love it. And uh yeah. Thanks. That uh back in the 80s, it's just a great song. You uh you reference uh Bon Jovi and the Thompson Twins and obviously the Beatles. And and then there's a line something about are the good times gone? Do you feel, do you feel like the good times are gone? It
0: feels that way sometimes. I mean, that's, I think that's a feeling that everyone has a lot of the time. There's always that feeling, you know, everything used to be better. Every, you know, Oh, back in the eighties, man, that was the time or the sixties. That was a time. And you know what? Someday we'll look back on this and we'll go. That was a time. Yeah. Um. I think it's, it's really, you know, again, I sort of channel these things and I, then I spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what I meant. Um, but um, you know, the chorus keeps changing. You know, for the, you know, The first chorus is, uh, where are they now? Why do the good times uh, fade away? Why can't we just hold on to all the things we loved back in the day? And then it becomes, where are we now? Why do the good times fade away? Why can't we just hold on to all the things we love for, for one more day? And then at the end, why can't we just hold on to all the friends we love? And never let them fade away. So it's really about holding on to the moment, I think. Yeah. Okay. More cool. than it is about looking back. It's just like, yeah, you can say this was great, that's great, but now is
2: what we've got. And where do you live as a person? Do you live like for me, I'm always in today. Really? I really don't look back and I don't like to look too far ahead. I just kind of live right now. Like today, What am I doing? I'm interviewing Eric today. This is, this is what my day is. And then I'm going to take my daughter to get her second vaccine, but this is my day. But uh, so what about you? How do you, how do you live your life? It depends, you know, it depends on
0: what phase I'm in. You know, there are times when I'm in a project where I'm completely in the moment. This is what I'm doing today. What am I having for lunch? Um, Being on tour, you know, being on tour is a totally immersive experience. Um, you know, now it's been a bit different because there hasn't been so much definition. You know, it's been kind of an, uh, you know, an open slate. But uh, I, I have my routines now. I've been, I've been learning to play Bach violin sonatas on the mandolin for the, for the past three years. And, uh, you know, that's a regimen, a couple of hours a day of that. I would say
2: so, yes. How many instruments yeah. do you play?
0: Well, I play guitar well. I play bass well. I play mandolin pretty well. Um, I play any stringed instrument varying degrees of well. Okay. Uh, I know my way around a keyboard. Um, me and pro tools make a good drummer. Um, and I have interesting stylings on the saxophone. All right. That's a lot. That's a. I I mean, and I can play harmonica and recorder. I mean, I can,
2: I can play just about anything you put my, put in my hands or in my mouth. And has this always been the case with you? Like as a kid, what, when did you first pick up your first instrument?
0: I picked up guitar, well, piano when I was five or six. My mother was a, a virtuoso concert pianist, and um, I was inspired by that. And I, I took lessons for a while, and then I got frustrated with that because the teacher wouldn't let me jump ahead and do fun things. Right. Um, then I picked up guitar when I was nine, uh, so I already had enough skill when the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And I was one of those kids who said, I'm going to form a band. Well, I was actually able to form a band the next day because I can play guitar.
2: That's amazing.
0: Me and Steve Lukather, we have we have that. Well, we have a lot in common. But um,
2: <laughs> Steve's been great. on the show twice. Actually, really? oh. a couple of people that you've worked with in the past have been on the show. Uh, Patty Smythe, mm-hmm. who I love. And then uh, just like a couple of weeks ago, uh, Klaus Mina of Scorpions was oh, on. Oh, cool.
0: I love and Klaus.
2: So we it was another it was another record where there was an, a nine hour difference. I'm jumping ahead now, but we're going to get back to the new record. Mm-hmm. Eric Bazilian and Scorpions isn't something that I would ever think in my head I would put together. How did that come about for you to write songs with uh with Klaus and the Scorpions? They contacted
0: me out out of the out of the blue um I had they, I think they have the same management in the U.S. that Zucchero has. And I had written some English lyrics for Zucchero okay. a few years ago. And I don't know how that happened either. But all I know is suddenly I was in Capri with Zuccaro. But, um, yeah, the, you know, the Scorpions contacted me and I went over, didn't know what to expect. And it was great from the beginning. I just I connected with, with those guys, you know, right away, you know, Klaus was an amazing singer and, and, and lyricist, with great instincts. Rudolph is a total gas to be around. His energy is Excellent. insane. He's a great guitar player. And then, you know, and I got to know, um, Oh God, what's his name? the other guitar? Player. Uh, Matthias, uh, Matthias, who is, who is Matthias. amazing. And I'm, I'm hell on guitarists when I'm, when I'm producing, uh-huh. but he just totally blew me away. Every time I had a suggestion, he'd just knock it out of the park.
1: Humanity, our feeders in, it's time to say goodbye. The party's over as the laughter dies. An angel cries, Humanity, it's au revoir to your insanity. You sold your soul to feed your baby
2: And what's it like when you work, when you just meet someone and now you're going to start to write a song, songs together. Like if it's someone that you've known all your life, you have a give and take and you're probably able to say, I don't like that or let's try Mm -hmm. this. But with someone brand new, how do you get that songwriting bond going to where you feel comfortable to tell them that you don't like something they brought to the table and vice versa?
0: You know, I've never had a situation where it was awkward. Okay. Well, maybe one <laughs> or two, um, but you know, generally if someone wants to write with you, it's because they want to hear what you've got to offer. You yeah. know, if they didn't want to hear what I had to say, I wouldn't be in the room.
2: That's
3: true. Okay. That you makes know,
0: sense. And, and you know, likewise, on one hand, it's my job to, to say, I don't think that's good. But on the other hand, if I'm writing with someone for for that artist, it's my job to see, okay, what, what, it, is them who are they and is is what they're bringing to the table reflective of their best
2: self as an artist and when you write with scorpions though do you have to put on like your your heavy metal hat which is a hat that maybe you never wore before or at least we've never heard it throughout your career right right well i've i
0: have worn that hat many times i wore that hat really for the first 15 years of my career okay i mean until the hooters happened which was a conscious decision to to leave behind the you know the the shredding medley blues rock thing that i was doing that and rob for rob as well who was you know an incredible he's a virtuoso keyboard player but when we decided we're going to do something that's fun and people can dance to and in the beginning that was pretty much ska and reggae
3: yeah you
0: know okay we're gonna we're gonna set set those tools aside for now but I started my life as a, as a shredder guitar player worshiping at the altar of Hendrix Beck and, and Clapton.
2: Okay, so then th- for you, this was, a, this was kind of a new dream come true. You get to go back and work with some heavyweights in this genre, and, and they want to work with you, so that's cool. Yeah. I want to just give a quick rundown of uh, so many people you've written songs with. Robbie Williams, Ricky Martin. Songs for Ronnie Spector, Leanne Rimes. Do you think you're more successful as a songwriter? Uh, in your in now, what do you mm-hmm. consider yourself? Do you consider yourself a singer, a songwriter? What brings you the most uh, pride or joy? I'm a musician. Okay, I make music.
0: Whatever needs to be done to make music, I will do to the best of my ability. Okay, um, I have the most fun doing actually everything. I love being in the studio and playing guitar. I love figuring out a bass part. I love writing a song. I love having a lyric come to me fully fleshed out from wherever they come from. Um, I love sitting in a room with other people. I love sitting in a room by myself. I love getting out on stage and performing. Um, That's probably the biggest rush there is.
3: All right.
2: So so basically, you, you are living your dream. Yeah, I, yeah. Guess, I guess so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see your eyes kind of light up as you just just saying the word music. Your eyes are lighting up. So, all right, let's jump back to this brand new album. I want to find out uh, some more things. You already told me who plays on it. I, I always feel like the opening track is very key. And this, uh, mm-hmm. this one kicks off with a song that I love called The High Note. How much time goes into the sequencing of an album? Because for me, obviously, writing and recording is one thing but then once you have all these songs now they have to flow perfectly you know for the listener to uh, be engaged how much yeah. time do you put into the sequencing
0: i try to let it, let it happen organically mm-hmm. um i suppose um you know it's funny it, you know to a certain extent it's sort of chronological
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, i think the high note um well help was the first track right that that uh, but but the high note was the first song that i wrote during this whole this whole cycle um although then i added some songs that were that were earlier like where home is i wrote you know about a year into exile and trying to figure out in fact where home is
1: all right and mostly i've been keeping it all together but sometimes it's a long long lonely night and i
0: don't know where home is bleed red which is the last song on the album i actually wrote i think in 2018 um but um you know with the Hooters, you know, to sequence an album, we would sit there for hours and listen to, listen through, listen through. I don't have the patience for that. So right. I would just sort of make a random sequence, put it on and go, nah, that doesn't work. <laughs> and I just keep tweaking it and leave it for a couple of days and come back and yeah, this works. You know, I don't even know that I came up with the ultimate sequence, but uh, my friend Martin in uh, Slovenia, the the uh, my brilliant producer friend who mastered this record for me and really gave me a lot of great advice He said, this song must end the album.
2: And so it does. And so it does.
1: Oh!
0: I mean, uh, the thing is, you know, the thing about sequencing, is, it's funny. Think about the Beatles albums. Like in the U.S., we got completely different sequences. Absolutely. And th- to me, those are still the sequences. It still freaks me out when I listen to the British version, which I've been listening to w- way, for way longer than I listened to the American ones. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how crucial sequencing really is. I mean, even Sgt. Pepper had an alternate sequence. I did not know that. It, yep. And then the way people listen nowadays, who listens to albums?
2: Well, I still do, Eric. Good. And so (laughs) do
0: I, which is why I did an album.
2: Yeah. Whenever you record an album, do you feel like, is it always, do you always feel like this most recent work is your best work?
0: Sure. Which is why you really need to like take a pause after, at at some point, because that isn't always the case.
2: Right. Yeah. True. And time, time will let you know that.
0: Yep. And it's funny with sequencing this album, I had a, a bunch more songs that I was considering for it. And um, I just, you know, I, and I, I tried them in different places and it just felt like, no, this is the album. I know it's 10 songs. It's 35 minutes.
2: It'll be perfect on vinyl. Yeah. I won't have to keep anything off on vinyl. No, you won't. And then you have songs left over for, uh, for bazillion Two. Yeah. Right. In 20 no, years. No, it is, you know, sometimes just because you can fill a CD, with 16 or 17 songs doesn't mean that you should. Right. And again, like I said, these 10 tracks, when it's over, you want to hit play again. Great. You know, I don't I don't need four more tracks when I can just listen to these 10 again. These are right. this is this is what I need. This is what I want. So again, I, I really do want people to go out and seek out this album when it's released. Do you have an exact release date yet? Uh, May 14th, I believe. May fourteenth, perfect. So it'll just be a couple weeks after this drops, uh, which, which means I
0: better get it in the portal right now. I keep
2: forgetting about that. But and so uh, CD, it's and obviously vinyl because you just teased that.
0: Haven't done the vinyl yet. That's going to take a while. Okay. Um, CDs, I, I made up. My my radio promo guy told me I had to make some up because radio, even though they never listen to CDs, mm-hmm. they won't take. They won't consider adding you unless they have have a physical thing. But uh, when I get back to the U.S., I'm going to make up a bunch and I will commercially distribute them.
2: Okay, so it's initially just going to be released as uh, as it as digitally. Just digitally, yep. So uh, physical product will be coming down the road. Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. That was the g- great thing about COVID. I know a lot of well, not you know to say that that <laughs> sounds, that sounds yeah. odd. Um, a lot of my favorite artists. Some people held albums back, but then people like soul asylum and the pretenders they didn't and right. i appreciated that because you don't have to leave your house to get music anymore right and i needed that i needed their music you know to help get me through some days so uh you know i still love physical stuff but uh but digital is the way to go uh for instant uh, gratification
0: yeah at, at this point absolutely and as far as physical goes I don't, I mean, who has a CD
2: player? I mean, your, your laptop now doesn't even have a disk drive. Right. And right. if you buy a new car, it doesn't have a CD player in it. Right, right. I have a 2016 that I don't want to get rid of because it's still got my CD player in it. Yep. So it is weird when if you're they're making something that you almost can't play anywhere, unless yep. you have an old component system or, right. you know, or, a, or a boom box, who knows? And uh, then, you know,
0: vinyl is awesome because it's big and it's, you know, it's fun. And some people do. I think more people probably have
2: turntables now than they have CD drives. Well, because you can you can you can buy turntables now, too. Right. I mean, it's, it's right. easily accessible. And I'm sure CDs are probably going to come back in five years. Who knows? Yeah. Everything. Everything keeps coming back. Um, let's talk about the career. Uh, six studio albums with the Hooters, uh, an EP with Hooters. Is it, is it The Hooters or is it Hooters? It's The Hooters.
0: Even before we had the the on the name, it was The Hooters. It, it was a an invisible
2: the. It was an invisible the. Okay. Uh, and, of course, you have three solo albums. Yep. And, uh, and the solo albums, what's great is your new one came out, and then I went back and revisited the other ones, and uh, The Optimist is fantastic. Thanks. It's yeah, that's
0: I, I, I feel like that's sort of the one that got away. Yeah. Um, You know, but uh, I know I love that record. That is kind of me in a nutshell. Oh, oh, how did I get in this nutshell? But then again, all three of them are, Yeah, you know, a very dull boy is where I was a year later. It's funny Mm -hmm. that album, I did wrote and recorded in six days, you know, in my in-laws barn in Sweden.
2: And that has a, that, that does have a more raw feel to it. You know what I mean? And that's not to, uh, belittle it i just it does it's it's not as produced as the optimist was sure that, that was intentional this one's somewhere in between yeah this has a diy feel to it but it sounds great it really and it, and again i don't know it's hard to express uh how this music makes me feel but it's really it's really upbeat and it's positive and um it's just a real feel-good album like i think if people get this this is going to be one of the albums that they play all summer long.
0: I hope so, man. It just I love feels like, Thank you.
2: You know, roll the windows down and turn up the car stereo. You know, when you're, you know, driving along the beach, it just feels great. Uh, the optimist, you said, it's, you feel like it's the one that got away. And that's, what's great because if people are listening to this show right now, they can head over to iTunes and then it won't be the one that got away. They right. can rediscover it. I want to ask about uh, a couple songs on the optimist, the song ugly.
1: One night she's a flame on a candle One night she's a hand on a hip One night she's a wave and a smile And one night she's a 40 and slip One night she's a knock on the front door Red wine in a beanbag chair One night she's a girl of dreams And next night she ain't there And then it gets ugly, ugly How can love let us down so many times such a beautiful goodbye, but you just feel you and
2: that's ugly. now this is a different version than the version that I know from John Bon Jovi's solo album, Destination Anywhere. So, which version came first? And did you so guys the- write this song together? Um I wrote the
0: the version that John Bon Jovi does. I wrote by myself while my wife was pregnant with our son. Okay, and it was sort of for her because you know she was a beautiful woman who was pregnant and felt the way women feel when they're pregnant sometimes, right. which is not not uh, not hot. <laughs> and um, I wrote wrote the song just to make her feel good. And then um, uh, I had been writing with John already I uh, mean uh, John and, uh, and Desmond child had gotten together and, and written written a bunch of songs so John came to see me do a, a songwriter show at the bottom line in New York and he called me the next day and said I love that song I think you know with with some work it could be great for my solo album excellent so you know changed a couple of lines around
1: and, and... I wish I was a camera sometimes So I could take your picture with my mind Put it in a frame
0: And it had always been my intention to release my original demo of the song on my solo album. And I pulled up the tracks and, you know, just to tweak it and make sure it sounded right. And it just, I just kind of felt like that version of the song was out already. Right. And, and I just started messing around with it and it turned into what it became, which is a completely different story. It is, yes, Though- it
2: definitely is. When I, when I, when I was listening to it, I'm like, Oh, wait a minute, this is totally different, but both, both versions great
0: thanks
2: yeah they're Uh, both you know they're separate but equal speaking of songs that got away or something that got away you and John wrote a song that I I guess for the Crush album but it didn't make it on the Crush album it it was released as a B-side Sad Song Night is just it's one of my favorite Bon Jovi songs I love that song so much and so many no one knows that song really she told
1: me I'm dancing Spanish 10. she got you not got to watch me Spin around and round Stars showing bright I'm oh, hungry
0: I I know that that is really one that got away. I remember writing that very clearly. We were in a hotel room in Dublin. Desmond and John and I had decided to meet there to to write. And that was the first song we wrote. And it really felt like, like a thing. And I don't know why it didn't go on the album. I
2: mean, I don't know why either. I mean, I love the crush album. I don't know what I would replace, you know, I don't know what I would put uh, sad song night in. what song I would Mm -hmm. remove. But it's just such a good song. It's such a great song. And um, the thing about the podcast, Eric, is when when this drops, I will, uh, like if we talk about a song, I'll edit in a piece of cool. the song. So okay. people, people you're, you're getting to hear that right now. All right. Of course, we can't talk to you without talking about the Hooters. So we're going to go. Of course all, not. We're going to go all the way back. 1983, you have your independent release, more. Now, when this came out, was this the first album, professionally recorded album that you had been a part of?
0: Oh, no, no, not at all. I mean, okay. um, I did my first, uh, well, Baby Grand, the band that Rob and I had before the Hooters. We had two albums on Arista, 77 wow. and 78. Yep.
2: See, I didn't um, know about Baby Grand, and I thought I, did, okay. I thought I did all my homework. I thought I knew all my stuff. Um, no, Baby Grand
0: was – so I met Rob in 1971. That will that's, be
2: 50 years in September. So how old are you two guys when you meet? Um,
0: I was 18. Okay. I was, a, I was a freshman in college. He was a senior, and, um, and um, he had a band that didn't have a guitar player. I didn't have a band. I was a guitar player. Joined his band. That's how it Um, works. He and the singer graduated. And and Rick Chertoff, who was the drummer, and Rick decided he was going to become a producer. Got a gig for Clive Davis. Found Mandy for Barry Manilow. um, uh, Became an an A&R hero uh, for Clive. Um, David, the singer, and Rob continued writing songs. And they got signed as Baby Grand right as I was getting ready to graduate and they needed a guitar player. So I, I, they brought me into the fold and we made, we made two albums, which are great albums. They were either 10 years ahead of their time or 10 years behind. But at a time when, when punk and minimalistic things like the Talking Heads were happening, we're trying to get paid by the note. <laughs> we're, we're doing Steely Dan on steroids.
2: Are those albums available uh, in digital outlets?
0: Those are not. Those are not. In fact, I we've been trying to trying to uh, rectify that. Um, I do keep them in my Dropbox, though. If anyone's ever ever anyone wants to DM me, <laughs> I'll send. I'll gladly send that link. Consider this a DM. <laughs> okay, you got it. Um, I think they're on YouTube. Actually, I think so. people have ripped them onto YouTube. Gotcha. Um, so we, yeah, we had done those. And then we did, um, we actually released our, the Hooters released our first single in 81. Have you- We did one in 82 and then we took a break from the band in 82 to do the Cindy Lauper album. So we had done a fair amount of professional recording when we went in to do Amore by ourselves and, you know, and, and produce that ourselves.
2: And what was it like uh, working on She's So Unusual? Because she's basically a new artist at that time too. She was with uh, Blue Angel, but this is kind yep. of, this is her solo debut. And I mean, when you look back, you just think that Cindy Lauper has, has always been a thing, but you guys right. are working, you guys are at uh, ground zero on Cindy Lauper. Yeah,
0: that's a good way to put it. Ground zero. <laughs> In many ways, it was ground zero. Um, it, it was never a dull moment working with Cyndi. Um, you know, Rick Chertoff got the gig producing her, and he decided that rather than using studio musicians, he wanted to put together a real a real arranging playing team. So he brought her to Rob and I, and we spent six months at our rehearsal space in Philadelphia with my four-track Porta Studio cassette recorder Mm -hmm. and my 808 drum machine, and we started demoing songs. Uh, Rick had brought in uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Money Changes Everything, and uh, all through the night, which is what Rick is genius at and which really comes into play into in the story of one of us and how that happened but
2: um and of course that's the joan osborne song we'll get to it yep yep yep
0: yep well, oh yeah we'll get to that um but uh, we spent six months doing you know demos of the of the songs. you know girls just want to have fun was a real odyssey because she hated the song from the beginning she kept saying i will never sing that song i will never sing that song and then one day we were talking about Come on Eileen because this was 1982 and who didn't love Come on Eileen.
2: Right, exactly.
0: And and she's and then in the middle of the conversation Rick comes up and says, "Well, w- what about girls just want to have fun?" And Cindy said, "Well, can you make it sound like Come on Eileen?" And I thought and I said, "You know what? I can." So I I changed the drum beat on the on the 808 to do what Come on Eileen does. Bump, ba-dump, bump ba-dump. I picked up my guitar and I played da 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 She started singing and the rest is, as they say, history. really was just a a great example of teamwork you know of having the right the right brains and the right being in the right place at the right time you know if rick had not been relentless getting her to sing that song if come on eileen hadn't inspired us if i hadn't picked up the guitar at that moment you know if rob hadn't come up with his chordal thing we wouldn't be having this conversation
2: and did this lead then to columbia signing the Hooters because of your work on this album? You would think (laughs) Um, to some,
0: to some degree it did, you know, at this point. So, you know, after um, she's so unusual came out, we did a moray and we sold 150,000 copies of that in our, in our region, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, which was unheard of. We were selling out the tower theater. We, you know, we were like the Beatles in the tri-state area. We could not get arrested.
2: But at that point, do you still feel like you've made it when you're doing all these things?
0: You know, it felt like we we're making it. You were it making it. Like okay, that's it a good way to like, put it.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, where's the next step? Um, you know, fortunately, we had Rick Chertoff in our back pocket, mm-hmm. and he was working for Columbia at this point. And I think he might have had to twist an arm or two to get us signed. You know, we were from Philadelphia. That was a curse back then. <laughs> and you why know, was we, that a curse? Because, because we were too close to New York. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, or not close enough. Mm. You know, at that point, um, you know, A&R people would gladly fly to, to Athens, Georgia or to Iowa to see a band, but Philadelphia is like, nah, you come here. Which means, which means that either they can come see us play in a venue in, in Philadelphia with 2000 people going crazy, or we can go play at a showcase in New York for 30 people. Yeah. Which, is, which happened a couple of times. Um, we finally, you know, finally Rick got someone from Columbia to come to Philadelphia and see us and see what the magic was. And, um, you know, finally we got signed to Columbia.
2: Now, Eric, I would tell you, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, right outside state college PA. Mm -hmm. And the Hooters didn't make it to me until I got to college and guys from Philly, they all had, they all had the album and you'd be, I'd be like, what's this? Then they'd be angry. They'd be get angry. If you didn't know (laughs) it, this is our band. This is from where we live so um, really strong yeah yeah exactly so then uh you get signed to columbia and nervous night comes out and now do you feel like you've made it or are you still mm-hmm. feel like you're making it
0: you know i think it's probably a fairly common experience that that artists bands when they're at that phase in their lives they're so overwhelmed that you don't notice. Okay. You know, um, yeah. I mean, when I got my first gold record, that I feel like I'd made it? I suppose so.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: When, you know, when I started seeing and we danced on, on MTV like every hour, yeah, that kind of felt like we have made it. You yeah. know, when, I, when I'm on South Street in Philadelphia at 2 o'clock in the morning and a convertible full of girls blasting, uh, don't take my car out tonight, come driving along, that kind of felt like, yeah,
3: made Okay. It.
2: Those are all cool things.
0: Yeah, they're all, they're very, but you know what? There were a lot of cool things before I made it. All right. And on uh, some level, I feel like I'm still trying to
2: make it. When CDs came out, there's a bonus track on Nervous Night, and it's the title track. <laughs> right idea was it to leave the title track off of the vinyl release? Because I love that song so much.
0: Um, we went back and forth on that a lot. Okay. Um, if we had included it, it would have made one side of the album too long to get the maximum volume. Okay. That was like a big thing. It probably still is, I think, 18 minutes and something is the max you can get on one side and really get competitively loud. Okay. So. Um, and I guess on some level we knew that we we would eventually sell more CDs than we would albums anyway.
2: At that at that point in time when CDs were starting to become the big deal. Yeah. Okay.
0: And some marketing genius probably thought, oh, people will buy both.
2: Yeah. And I did. And, I bought both. And
0: a lot of people did. I bought so both a lot of things. It worked.
2: Yeah. Uh it's just it's just odd to me that the song that uh, it always seemed odd to me that the the song that was the bonus track is the title track. But I know. And we
0: and, and we tried, you know, we did try other sequences, including that in the eight songs. Mm-hmm. But that's just the way it happened. The way it goes. And, and it's a good, a good, uh, good subject for
2: conversation. Because even on the on the CD, it's not it's not tacked on at the end. I believe it's track five on the CD. Right. So, yep. okay, yeah. I'm I'm going to ask this question again. You're probably going to punch me, but July thirteenth, nineteen eighty five at nine ten a.m at jfk stadium in philadelphia pa at that point did you feel you had made it
0: yeah i think it felt like we <laughs> i felt like we were really making it okay at that point. um i felt like boy if, if we don't make it now something's really wrong
1: <laughs> chevy chase joe piscopo This next group uh, appears courtesy of the Westwood One Radio Network. This is their hometown. Give them a big. nothing
2: I mean that's that's an an incredible thing to be a part of. Live aid. In your hometown,
0: yeah, I mean that was it was just amazing how all the pieces fell together on mm-hmm. that. You know, we were we were on tour already with uh, with Don Henley, mm-hmm. and there was a there was a break in the tour. I think we missed one show to go back and and, and do Live Aid, but and you know just the fact that um, all you zombies had been out for a while and had made a bit of noise and we danced was about to come out. We were just about to shoot the video for that. Um, and being, yeah, being the hometown band, being the ones who were able to
2: say, welcome to Philadelphia. That's amazing. Did, uh, did you have to get Don Henley's permission to miss that show? Um, I think he gave it for, I don't even think he noticed. <laughs> <at> that <point. laughs> Uh, yeah, that's just, I, I mean, it, live aid is such an incredible thing. I've told the story on this show before. Uh, I was on vacation with my family in ocean city, Maryland. And, you know, there's no VCR or anything, you know, there's no, you know, DVR, none of that. So if you weren't watching it, you, you missed it. And I kept going up to the condo where we were staying on vacation and watching it. And my dad kept coming up and he was so mad that I wasn't out on the beach with the family. And I just, and he didn't understand, dad, this is one, this is once in a lifetime. If I miss this, I'm missing it. And Led yep. Zeppelin's going to play. and I can't miss this. So uh, um, sometimes dads don't get it. I assume you're a dad that does get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many kids? Oh, yeah. Yet? Three. Uh, girls, boys, ages? Girl,
0: 32. Boy, 24. Girl, 20.
2: Wow. Uh, my oldest is 20 and uh, youngest is 16. Any grandkids yet?
0: Nope. Nope. I, I hope so. Well, I hope so my my oldest is getting getting married uh, this this summer. not that that has anything to do with it, but um, sure.
2: yeah, you can have kids no matter
0: what. Yes yes, you can. Yeah. Um, it's very funny because in Sweden very few people get married. okay. I mean most couples are and very few take will take the other's name. although it's fairly common here that a, a couple will get married and they will take on a new name.
2: Oh, that's interesting. that's kind of cool kind of cool were the kids raised in sweden
0: um my two younger ones who who were uh, whose mother i'm married to now um have spent every summer of their lives here Mm -hmm. uh we spoke both languages at home um come here every other christmas um spent a couple of full years here before so they uh, i i think they both identify as binational
2: all right that's that's a gift just to be able to speak two languages being raised with two languages. Yeah. That's amazing. And my
0: oldest and my oldest, you know, didn't grow up here
3: mm-hmm.
0: or grow up with Swedish in the house all the time, but she understands the language and she I think she feels a pull very back nice to, to the other home country.
2: Now, are any of these kids involved in the music industry? Was it handed down? My son is um very
0: very much all in. As, a, as an artist, as a singer, songwriter, guitarist. And um, he's working his ass off at it.
2: And you know the struggles of, of making it in the music business. And you also know that that's even more difficult sometimes today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's a fight and you don't know who the opponent is.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: You know, it's like, it's like the ring is dark. And they're just sending in gladiators. And you don't know where to look. Um, yeah, look, it's it's really tough. Uh, you know, it, there, there used to be a, a path.
3: Yeah, you know, a system. You, yeah.
0: You had a band, you played live, you put up flyers, you maybe released an independent record, you got signed, you got a booking agent, you got a manager. Now, you know, it's the Wild West.
2: Yeah. And I mean, in some ways, you know, your, your son can put his music up on YouTube and get, you know, millions of yep. hits. But as far as making a living and making a career in music, it's, it's a to- totally different thing. But now, are you, since you went through this, are you supportive of his decision to embrace music as a career? Or do you put on your dad hat and you're like, maybe you should do this? Um, I am totally supportive, as was my father
0: to me. And he, without his support, I don't know that I could have done it. So I'm, I'm
2: passing that on. Okay, good. Good for you. I'm sure he appreciates that big time. I, yeah, I think he does. I think he does. I,
0: it's It's been great watching him evolve. And he's really, um, he's found his guy. You know, every artist has, they've got a guy. Yeah. Gen, gender non-specific guy. Mm-hmm. And he's really found his, and you know, now the challenge is how to get it out there.
2: How to get it out there. Exactly. But my parents are still mad at me because I moved to California. So I'm glad that you're uh, embracing yeah. your son's career choices. <laughs> so, two million copies of Nervous Night, which is no small feat because in 1985, you're competing with Prince and Springsteen and U2 and Don Henley and Cindy Law. I mean, there's so much music by so many, you know, gigantic legendary artists. Some were legends even at the time. But, you know, in 2021, those people are legends. Tom Petty. I mean, so to sell yeah. two million copies, that's impressive. Without a top ten hit. Right. Which is we never cracked the top ten. Which is mind-boggling because well, that's like it, Hey Jealousy by Gin Blossoms.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I would have thought that was a number one song. That only went to number 25. Wow. I know. So it's uh it's really strange because I feel like with MTV. I feel like every time I saw Hooters on MTV, you just felt like those were well. These are top ten songs because I'm seeing them constantly in my living room. They were on MTV. They were on MTV. Yeah. Yeah. But Billboard-wise, no. Yep. Nope. Nope. It's very yeah. It's very. And was the label? I mean, you sold two million albums, though. I mean, if you what does a what does a top ten hit equate to in in album sales? Would you have sold you know, 5 million if you had, if the hits, if the songs were in the top 10, who knows, who
0: knows? Yeah. I'm sure it would have made, I'm sure every number that you climb up that chart is an exponential growth in sales.
2: Right. But I'm sure appearing on live aid probably helped to sell some, some albums too.
0: Oh, um, it certainly did. Um, and what I think it really helped with was our, our international, our international, um, profile because um, you know that that was seen by a billion people around the world and in Europe it wasn't nine o'clock in the morning it was three o'clock in the afternoon
2: speaking of Europe you really don't break there really until uh, the one-way home album comes out and satellite goes to number two in Europe <laughs>
0: Actually, Johnny B was what did it for us in Germany. Okay. Johnny B was, which was the first single in, in the US. Yeah. And a and little bit of trivia the, the video was directed by David Fincher.
1: It's
2: I was just going to ask, I mean, this is before obviously before Fight Club and Social Network and Mank, which was yep. just nominated for Academy Awards. What do you have any uh, stories about working with David Fincher or was he just another in a handful of directors? He was
0: he was a really good one in a handful. Well, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, is, he came into that. He had a really clear picture, um, a really clear story, mm-hmm. and he knew how he wanted to get it. And we were just actors.
2: So One Way Home comes out, Rick mm-hmm. off still producing, you guys are helping produce. Did you want to work with other producers or was Rick your guy because he's been your champion all this time?
0: Well, at that point, yes, we definitely did. I mean, you know, um, not, not not only our champion, but he really did bring out the best in us. Yeah. Um, and no, there was no question at that point. Um, I mean, we hung with Rick through, through One Way Home, which got us to Germany and a bit into Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then Zigzag, which really cemented us in Scandinavia. Um, you know, at the end of that, things just didn't feel good with the label. Yeah. Felt like we had sort of reached the end of whatever rope that was and um, that it was time to, to, to do something different. Well, so, after,
2: after Nervous Night, they were probably hoping for bigger success from you guys. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, th- I think they were expecting Nervous Night 2.
2: Yeah. And and, and One uh, Way Home is not Nervous Night
3: 2. No, I mean, There's it's three, really not.
2: There's three songs on there that, uh, that are almost six minutes long. I mean, one mm. is six minutes and the other two are very close. And that's not what Nervous Night was. Was that a conscious choice? To or do you guys just make music? This is what this is the music we're making yeah. right now. Yeah, but it is.
0: Yep. I mean, there's always that, you know, that that question. Okay, what what's the single? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we knew that Satellite was going to be a single. Mm-hmm. We knew that Johnny B was going to be a single. We thought that Carla with a K was sort of the slam dunk. Yeah. That you know that an edited version of that could um, could uh, could do it, which was some very wishful thinking. But it's funny because, I mean, in some way, Carla with a K and, and All You Zombies are the signature songs of the Hooters. Mm-hmm. Like our fans, those are the songs that they, that they go to, that they want to hear. In our live show, Carla is like pr- probably the, the, the peak of the show. Freedom has
1: its ups and downs. You walk the streets of lonesome town Try to find some company Somebody who will talk to me Well, I'm here all alone With no hope We'll find it someday There's no reason to cry For days gone by
0: And Rob walks out with the accordion and I've got the mandolin. And even even when we play at hard rock festivals in Germany and Scandinavia,
2: the audience goes nuts when they see an accordion. Let me ask you about this. The first two album covers, uh, you and Rob and David seem to be featured a little bit more prominently on the not seem to be, you are. You're you're yeah, more yeah. prominent. How does that make the other two guys feel? Like, are they like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, you know. <laughs> um that question gets some mind share these days from me because it's like what were we thinking
3: Uh
0: but you know but you know rob and i it was our our band we'd started the band right david was it was david that made us a band until we had david we were just two guys with a bunch of songs all of a sudden with david the three of us could play songs gotcha um uh and we just thought visually it kind of gave it a cool dimensionality thing to feature i mean we didn't see it in terms of those guys being excluded from the front cover we saw it; those guys are featured on the back cover
2: yeah i get it
0: but again it's kind of like yeah well what were we thinking
2: but they but at the time they didn't they weren't they didn't say anything so no Because if if they would have, maybe you would have said, "Oh, okay, I I see where you're coming from," and maybe it would have been different. But okay, I just wanted—I was just curious because just looking at the album covers this week, I'm like, "Oh, this is interesting." Yeah. mm. Zigzag, brother, don't you walk away? That such a great song.
1: Brother, don't you walk away? Brother, don't you walk away? Tell me why is it so hard to say it? Brother, don't you walk away? Ooh, when you sleep on.
2: Love it so much. For me, that should have been the first single though. How hard is it? Yeah. picking Singles. It must be so difficult unless it really jumps out at everyone. Like this is it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are albums where that, where that's the case, where it's mm-hmm. really easy. Well, you know, obviously Billie Jean is the first single. Um. um and there was a bit of debate actually on on on, on that yeah you know, I, I think i was advocating for brother don't you walk away um 500 miles was the first single which was sort of the death knoll in the united states yeah but it got us sweden it got us scandinavia and cemented our hold in in, in germany if you- Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a funny album. I I have I have very mixed feelings about that album.
2: How about zigzag, yeah, yeah. Give the music back starts with the melodica, which is a hooter.
0: Actually, doesn't it? No, that think I think that's a recorder.
2: It is. Well, I'm yeah. not a, I'm not a musician, Eric. I only I only know what I think I know. Um, well, let me ask you about this. When you name the band the Hooters, do you hmm. feel obligated to use the melodica on? a couple of tracks all the time. Not, mo-
0: not obligated, but motivated.
2: Motivated to okay.
0: It, it, is, you know, it is a really great piece of our, our sonic palette. I even used it on my album this yes, time. Yes, you did. Um, but uh, no, you know, it doesn't have to have a melodica to, to be hooterized. Okay. A mandolin will hooterize, a mandola will hooterize, an accordion will hooterize, even an electric guitar played in the right way will hooterize.
2: I do love them. I do love when you guys use the mandolin. I just, it's, it, it's such a beautiful instrument and it always sounds good. It,
0: it does, boy. It just sits in there and says, hi, I'm a mandolin.
2: When you travel back and forth between Sweden and Philadelphia, uh, how many guitars do you have in Sweden? In
0: Sweden, I have three electric guitars, an acoustic guitar, a bass, a mandolin, and a mandola.
2: And do you have the similar things in Philly or more stuff in Philly?
0: In Philly, I've got all of my vintage guitars. The guitars that I have here are all brand new guitars that were made by this guy in Finland. That's R- remarkable. I can I can live with just these guitars. Um, Philadelphia, I've got my really sweet collection of vintage guitars. The Strat, I played She's um, So Unusual on, the Gold Top Les Paul, that I played One of Us on, the Les Paul Jr., that I played on every Hooters record.
2: Wow. So the, the Hooters have a song called Beat Up Guitar, and it sounds like you still have many beat up guitars.
0: I have many. Be- I actually don't have the beat up guitar that that song is about. That was stolen. Oh. In, uh, in 1976, but I have it separated at birth twin 1956, Les Paul Goldtop
1: You lived on Vine Street
2: Let me touch on some songs that you wrote for other people or with other people that I love so much. Uh, The two songs on the Patty Smythe album, Heartache Around the World and Never Enough. I love that record so much. That's just such a fun record. Again, that's kind of like your new album. That top to bottom for me always sounds good. I never tire of it. And I songs on Hat Full of Stars. The songs that you wrote with Cindy are some of my favorites. Feels like Christmas and Product of Misery. I don't know what it is about your songwriting, but when I see your name on a song and you know, that comes from albums when you would look through the Mm -hmm. line of notes, but when I see your name, there were were always artists or producers that if I saw their name, I immediately was knew I was going to get something good. So you're one of the names that pops up even on a song like the song to be alive again, a, a journey song. That is, and I think there's five songwriters on it, but you're one of them. And that's one of my favorites off the Arrival album.
0: That was, yeah, that was a total came out of the blue. Jonathan Kane wanted to come write with me. And um, yeah, he had an idea for a song called Alive Again, which was, was the original title. And uh-huh. we wrote a version of it. And then he went off and did some more work on it. And suddenly it's on a journey album.
2: How do I say this uh, delicately? What song gives you the most mailbox money? What song did you write that you're always seeing returns from?
0: Oh, one of us, of course It's one
2: of us for sure Yeah, So, sure. and one of us, because you wrote that on your own sole writing yep. credit on that Yep So that's probably one of the reasons why You're not splitting it with other people Right
4: if God had a name What would it be And would you call it to his face If you were faced with him and all
2: When you write a song like that, is the band mad that you didn't bring that song to them?
0: Um, Well, bear in mind, Rob was, Rob was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was there when I picked up his guitar and played the guitar riff for the first time. Then he was there the next day when I came in and played, played my demo of the song. Okay. Um, He was there when Rick Chertoff said, Joan, do you think you could sing that? And he was the one that pressed record when we recorded the first demo of her singing it with, with my guitar. So at any time he could have said, Hey, that, that we should keep that for the Hooters. Okay. But it never occurred to him and it never occurred to me because once we heard Joan's voice on that song, yeah. th- you know, that was it. You know, you could say the same thing about time after time. Should we have kept that for the Hooters? No, we should not have kept that.
2: For <laughs> right. The Hooters. Right. Now Cindy's version is amazing ridiculous um but again here we go it's almost like a she's so unusual situation you're on ground zero here with joan osborne yep that here i'm just i didn't even i didn't even realize this till now that's my wife's favorite album relish and i even had i had a coaster made oh wow the album cover for her this i don't know for chris for something but uh it sits here on our desk but um yeah so yeah that again Uh, What songs did you uh, co-write on Relish? Uh, Most of it. Yeah, Right Hand Man. what a killer track, Dracula moon, St. Teresa. I mean, and again, one of us, that's Joan's signature song. Yeah. Again, she can't play a concert and not do that song. That's probably your biggest success as a, as a songwriter and, and everything right charts as a down. musician. Yeah.
0: That, that one che- uh, uh, checks all the boxes except for my, not, not being the lead singer on it. Right. Exactly. And, I'm fine with that. I'm
2: fine with that. And did Joan immediately like the song? It wasn't, it wasn't a she it's wasn't a girls just wanna have fun situation. I
0: don't to this day, I'm not really sure how Joan feels about the song. Um, yeah. um you know, when I played played the demo for for I it was Rob and Rick and Joan and I in the room. Okay. We we were writing songs for that album at the time. And When I played my demo, I had no expectation. It hadn't occurred to me that it would be something for Joan. Mm -hmm. And I think, and Rick Chertoff blindsided us by asking her, do you think you could sing that? He didn't ask, would you like to sing that? He didn't ask, would that be a good song for the album? Uh Because she probably, I don't know what she would have said, but I don't Mm -hmm. think one of them would have been, yeah, let's do this. Let's make this my signature song. Yeah. But, but she said, yeah, I can sing it. And I wrote out the lyrics and ran her through the melodies. And we all listened back. And it was just like, you know, game over.
2: Yeah, Goosebumps. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It was the same feeling I had the first time um, Rob and Cindy played me their, their, their first sketch of time after time. I just knew we we're going to be hearing this song for a, a long
2: time. And we still are. 2008, you guys hook up with Joan again for the little wild one album. We guys just, we trying to recapture that magic or did she, did she want to, did she reach out to you? How did that work? That project? Do you remember
0: the film uh, standing in the shadows of Motown?
2: Uh, I don't know that I have seen that. No.
0: Great, great film. It's about, um, it's about the funk brothers, the, the, you know, the band. Yeah. For, for all on all the Motown records. And then there were a number of guest vocalists and one of them was Joan singing, um, what becomes of the broken hearted. And while I was in the movie theater, um, I called her and I whispered, why aren't we still making music together? Yeah. Because it was her decision not to do the second album with us. I think she felt that after that we, that Rick and Rob and I had such a strong footprint yeah. on that first album she wanted to do something on her own which you know career wise well I don't know but it's what she wanted to do yeah um, um, so 2001 I'm like this is this is crazy so she started coming down and she and I started working and then she and Rob and I started working and then we we just thought you know what let's let's do the whole thing let's get let's get Rick back into the mix. Um, so we actually we actually recorded that album in 2003
2: and 4. Wow, but it didn't come out till 2008. Yep.
4: Flood tide below me with the sun in my eyes and I reach for the feeling that the
2: You co-wrote seven songs, I think, on that album. Yeah,
0: I, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, um, you know, I, I think we went into it hoping that we'd get lucky, and one of us (pun not intended) would would write the hit. Right.
2: And um, but again, the the musical landscape by the time that's released in two thousand eight, it's so different from you know nineteen ninety five. You know, yep. just all the reasons we talked about earlier, how how you find music, how you purchase it, how people play it. And can you get airplay, you know, this many yep. years afterwards? It's um, yeah, it's difficult, but it's a great record. I think you guys I think yep. you guys nailed it. And that's one of my favorites of hers. And again, yep. when I saw you guys were all back together because, again, I'm an album credit person or, you know, I read an article that you guys were all working together, releasing something. I got excited as, as, as you do when you're a music fan, but I want to talk about one one more time. I want to talk about uh, the album bazillion, which will be out in a couple of weeks. You can find it digitally and then down the line, physical copies. Yep. And then I guess you can't even think about making it when you have a new project. Are you still thinking about new songs? Are you a guy that's always writing?
0: Yeah. The greater or lesser degrees. Yeah, I am. I'm, um, I'm always in a better headspace when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Writing is really therapy for me. Um, so I'm i i always trying. You know, it's been a while now. Honestly, I've been kind of busy.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: but um, now that I'm back here for a while, I'm I I'm, I'm haven't fa- I haven't gone back to the basement yet since we got back yesterday. <laughs> but I'm heading there after after dinner.
2: All right. And what's um, it, it seems very? Is it very? It seems very relaxed in Sweden. Is it very? What's it like there as opposed to being in the States? Um, it's, it's very similar. I, I think it culturally
0: is, okay. it might be the, the closest to, to the US of, of all the European countries oh, okay. I've been to. Um, um, people are nice, people are polite. Nice, that's, um, that's a plus. Yep, yep. Um, you don't see a lot of masks out on the street.
2: Uh, are you wearing a mask in Sweden?
0: Um, I don't, I'm fully vaccinated and no okay. one else is wearing them. Um, I do, I do, if I go on public transportation, uh, which is the one place now where the government has recommended that people wear masks. Okay. And I'd say about 50% of them are, are taking that advice. Okay. But so sort of the courtesy thing I do, um, you know, but we're just in the U S and masks everywhere all the time.
2: Yeah. I'm fully vaxxed also, but if, yeah, I'm, I'm, if I go in public, I'm wearing a mask. Yep. I didn't get and a cold last you know year. I didn't get a cold. Yep. That's right. I usually that's get right. a cold every year, maybe two. So maybe the Asians really did have
0: something going all along.
2: I know. And we would, uh, you know, and, you know, a couple of years ago, you'd give them the side eye like, come on, do you really need to wear that? But.
0: Yep.
2: So we're learning things in COVID also. Yep. Okay. So again, 2021, bazillion. Ten tracks, 35 minutes, solid top to bottom. If you were to choose one song on the album for me to use as my playout song today, what song would you choose? The high note. The high note.
0: Yeah, because you want to go out on a high note.
2: Perfect. Uh, Thank you, Eric. And let me tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can go to ericbazillion.com. Twitter it's at Eric bazillion and Instagram I think is also at Eric Bazillion are you a social media guy or only when you have a project to promote
0: you know I try to I try to keep a presence mm-hmm. um, there um, you know there's also a Facebook Eric Eric Bazilian music there you go um, you know yeah you know oh this is a cool wall or yeah look look where I am now I'm, I'm right. on the coast of Maine. Guess where I am. Right. I mean, I'm, you know, I probably should be a lot more than I am and I go through phases with it. Yeah. But honestly, it's like, my, my head is taken up with way more important things than social media.
2: Yeah, but it is the way to promote and get the word out on the new album. And things it like is
0: this. Now, it is now, you know, as long as live shows aren't, aren't a thing, this is it.
2: And when do you think... Or when do you anticipate that you will be on stage again?
0: Well, as it stands now, the Hooters have a show in Quakertown, PA on August 13th. Okay. And then another show, the 14th. We have shows booked uh, into going into the fall. So hopefully that, that will all happen.
2: Okay. So fingers crossed that these happen. They're on the books but you never know but i hopefully you guys will be out there and playing and then what about an eric bazilian solo show because
0: yeah, you're not well, going to
2: mix this these songs into a hooters set
0: probably not we we have done that in the past mm-hmm. and you know we'll see if if you know if one of the songs becomes a a smash virally
2: well then it's um, in
0: <laughs> you know i mean i could i could totally see the band doing back in the 80s
3: true that would that would make um, sense.
0: You know so as far as solo shows go yeah look as soon as as soon as they're booking shows again I'm in
2: you're in you're all in
0: I, I'm all in you know I, I was really hoping to you know when when we found out that our 2020 2020 2021 tour had been mm-hmm. postponed again till 22 I started thinking wow maybe I can get some so- solo shows booked for the summer yeah but you know again shows just aren't really a thing.
2: They're not a thing. If I'm
0: going to go out and play, if I'm going to go out and play live, I have two kinds of shows. I do shows where I have a band and I rehearse the band, Mm -hmm. and then I have shows where I just go out by myself and it's half storyteller and half music.
2: And those are great. I love those types of shows.
0: Those are a blast. I love doing those. So, um, you know, maybe some of those will pop up this summer.
2: And what about an online virtual show where you do just that? Play a handful of songs and tell a handful of stories.
0: You know, I, I did a couple of live streams in the beginning of COVID mm-hmm. and I don't know, I guess I can give it another shot. And the other thing is I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to just sit sit and play them on a guitar. Gotcha. And I don't want to do them to my, to backing tracks. And I did that on one of the live streams okay. and it was okay. Everybody liked it. But if I'm going to do a live stream, I want to do it with a band in a, in a place where the band can be together with people who are comfortable being together in a room
2: because you need some immediate feedback. That's, that's where the adrenaline and that's where the juice comes from.
0: Yeah, now I've seen people who you know, do live streams where they'll have the camera set up in front of them and they'll have a big screen with you know 50 of their fans' faces popping yeah. up on there and that's cool, but I don't, I don't really have that ecosystem in my fan right. base. <laughs>
2: gotcha. Well, look, thanks again for giving me this time. Everybody go buy Bazillion when it's available. Uh, You can follow us at Rock Solid Show on Twitter and go to rocksolidpodcast.com for all things about the show. Again, thank you, Eric. And everyone, please enjoy The High Note.